Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Sometimes the best lessons in school happen when the tables and chairs are stripped away and the classroom becomes your very own performance area. I felt as a child like, yeah, I, it's for the first time I'm going to have some form of education in one way or the other. Kibera in Nairobi in Kenya is the biggest slum in Africa and one of the biggest in the world. And that makes it one of the more surprising settings for a ballet school. Enter Mike Wamaya. I want to work with children to see if I can make a difference through dance. If I can just use myself as a tool to transform children's lives in the informal settlements. Mike is a dance teacher who offers an arts education to orphans and vulnerable children in some of Kenya's most disadvantaged areas. Before taking Mike's classes, most of his students didn't know the word ballet but many flourish after getting involved. And some have even gone on to receive scholarships and a career in dance. People from different tribes, you know, we met all in Nairobi and we had this one thing in common, which was dancing. When we were all dancing together, you could not tell somebody's tribe, you know, we were family. This is Small Changes, a podcast about how sometimes the seemingly smallest change can have the biggest impact. This week, we look at how dance can change a child's life. I'm Lucy Lamble. So, Mike, we're delighted to have managed to grab a few minutes to speak to you between classes. Where are we talking to you from today? So now we are talking actually in Madare. Madare is one of the informal settlements here. And uh, I, this was the quiet place I could find. But yeah, it's uh, a lot of activities happening downstairs. There are dance classes happening. I rang Mike on Skype. I'd had the opportunity to meet him last year at a formal education conference in Oxford and was impressed by how he'd somehow got teachers and academics out of their seats and moving. I wanted to know how he got into dance. It's not every young boy in Kenya that's interested in classical forms of dance, but in Mike's case, it was all in the genes. So I, uh, as a child, I used to do a lot of drama in school. I used to sing also. And uh, my great-grandmother was a performing artist and uh, my parents used to come and watch me. But they were more focused on academics, so it was very hard to get to realise my full potential because every time 
they'll be busy with their results from school. And uh, that was also very hard for me to come out like I love dancing or I love acting. But um, with time now, this worked out. So what kind of performer was your great-grandmother? So within the Luo culture, there is um, a dance style called Dodo. And Dodo is danced by women as they sing and they chant. We had a chance of seeing her because she was my mom's grandmother. So we had a chance of seeing her perform before she died. And uh, it was really fun, you know, because uh, she was well known and uh, using that and also doing like uh, traditional medicine. So she was quite a respected woman. Despite being born in the capital Nairobi, Mike was forced to move to a small village in Western Kenya with his family when he was very young. Life there was tough. We had to move to the village because my father was dying and uh, he could not pay anything. So we moved to the village. And uh, as a child, there was a lot of uh, crime around my area and my neighborhood where we were living and also lots of my friends were killed. So my parents were always worried that I might end up being a target. And so when he was dying, my mom was so worried about us. So she thought, OK, well, let's move to the village. But after his death, I had to start working now. So I worked in the garage and there I got the chance to come back to Nairobi now to do dance. So Mike was forced to drop out of high school in order to earn after his father died. Despite financial struggles, a chance audition with the visiting Kenya Performing Arts Group would end up determining his future. Kenya Performing Arts Group was doing different dance techniques. We were doing ballet, we were doing modern dance, we were doing jazz, we were doing African dance and doing a lot of physical theatre. Uh, with Bali, we were so lucky because then there was a diplomat called Miriam. Through her, we also did a lot of um, choreographies that she did here. She was just an eye-opener in, uh, in dancing in Kenya. For Mike, securing a place in the Kenya Performing Arts Group meant more to him than just having the opportunity to dance. I felt as a child like, yeah, I, it's for the first time I'm going to have some form of education in one way or the other. And uh, I was really looking forward to, to being amongst the top. And one of the first things he learned was how to improvise. I remember I came in with my dancing trousers and I didn't even have dance clothes on. So when they asked people to change to dance, I just had my boxers and I asked them if I would dance in that and they agreed. You know, so I was so eager to be part amongst the group. And uh, it was just a whole new chapter in my life I looked at it like it's now my point to get some form of education and hopefully transform my life with it. So can you just describe to me what it feels like for you to perform? It felt great to be on stage and also to go on tour with our dance company. You get to learn a lot and also just working with teammates, people from different tribes, you know, we met all in Nairobi and we had this one thing in common which was dancing. When we were all dancing together, you could not tell somebody's tribe, you know, we were family. Mike got the opportunity to travel with the Kenya Performing Arts Group, and many of those he danced with ended up taking posts abroad. Mike, however, decided not to move away. He always brought his dancing back to his homeland. 
in 2008, we did our last trip to the Netherlands and uh, we had performances everywhere. And uh, some of our dancers were getting dancing opportunities with other companies based in Holland. I always felt the urge, you know, I was dancing for a reason and my reason was to save myself from um, crime and also to give myself identity. And so when we came back, there was the post-election violence. What started out as a dispute over the presidential election has quickly turned into tribal violence. And Kenyans fear it now has the potential to spread throughout this country as hope of any political compromise fades fast. At that point, I decided I'm not going to travel back. I want to work with children to see if I can make a difference through dance. If I can just use myself as a tool to transform children's lives in the informal settlements. There was a lot of talent in terms of dance and acrobatics, and they just lacked people who could mentor them. If I was their age and somebody was there for me, I would have been different. And so I kept on working with those children there by investing our time and our resources in them, we are just shaping the future of Kibera and the informal settlements in Nairobi. What's day-to-day -day life like for a young person in an informal settlement in Nairobi? If it's on a Monday, then there's a lot of, um, you know, like people drunk, got drunk last night, they had to sleep outside. So children see that, you know, and children sometimes also see a lot of violence because there's just a lot, a lot of violence happening around. And um, children who I work with go through this, but our education system is not in a position to absorb the challenges that the children are facing within their communities, but they are focused more on academics. So we get a lot of children logging off while in school because it's not centered on the challenges they are facing, but it's rather centered more on um, exams. Mike told me one particular story of a young girl who used her dance classes as an opportunity to express her feelings about what was going on at home. And this girl was going through a lot of violence, but she could not talk to anyone. She could not talk to the teachers because it's not about your problem. Nobody wants to listen to them. You know, people are focused on, you have to perform, you have to do your exams, but people are never focused on her well-being. So when she came dancing to us, she gradually opened up and she talked about the violence she's going through. And I'm really glad that she could talk to us at that time. We could finally rescue her. We sent her now to a better high school. This is just but one of the stories, you know. Lots and lots of girls and uh, boys are going through domestic violences and they don't know how to talk about it and how to stop it. After the break, Mike tells us more about the challenges he faces when trying to convince people that teaching ballet is as important as a more traditional education programme. We also hear one example that shows how ballet can transcend barriers. And I took the father through our ballet programme and we had to explain a lot to him. And I told him, like, it's not about her going to become a professional ballet dancer, but it's her using uh, the challenges she's facing in terms of not having a ballet costume and designing her own. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. Tired? 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Hatsune Miku. Miku is a global superstar with millions of fans. But there's a catch. She's not real. So how did this hologram get to be so famous? How can a virtual star become so popular? And why are real human beings so obsessed with the lives of people who don't really exist? Join me, Jordan Erica Weber, for this week's episode of Chips With Everything, where we blur the lines between the real and the virtual by delving into the world of virtual celebrities. To have a listen, head over to theguardian.com slash podcasts or search Chips With Everything on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to Small Changes. I'm Lucy Lamble. Before the break, we met charismatic Kenyan dance teacher Mike Wamaya. The opportunities a scholarship with the Kenya Performing Arts Group opened for him convinced him that ballet and other contemporary dance lessons could provide underprivileged children with an education and the support that they might otherwise miss out on. I was curious to know what people living in places like Kibera have made of the idea of learning a dance as formal as ballet, an art form that emerged in Europe centuries ago. Ballet is just like one of the catchy tools we have for the children because they all want to be princesses, you know, and the boys want to be strong. And ballet portrays that in children. And also the fact that it's always looked at as a rich people thing. So giving it for free in Kibera makes the children feel privileged, you know, makes them um, want to talk more, makes them want to share. And just wearing ballet costumes in itself, you know, it it brings with itself a sense of pride and joy in children. So we use ballet, though we do a lot of dance styles, we do modern dance, we do African dance, and ballet is always like the catchy part. In 2017, Mike set up Project Ilimu to champion quality education for children living in informal settlements. Through this project, children can stay on after school as part of extracurricular activities to learn dance. For the most part, the facilities they have access to are far from those you might be used to seeing in your typical 21st century dance movie. So we use like just a normal classroom <laughs> and some of these classrooms are not in good condition at all. And like now there's one school we're teaching on Friday and it's just mud on the floor. But we dance there because to me I believe 
it's not about the space around us, but it's the content, and we are the content. So we dance in muddy areas, but um, we just use our normal classrooms. And what's the reaction been from the various communities you've worked in? We once started with a Muslim community area to do ballet, and there was a lot of um, struggle from the elders and um, the community in terms of accepting this program. So we had to change a lot. But uh, because it was our first school, so we stopped with that because the perception we have here is when you do dance, you are doing club dancing and club dancing relates to prostitution. But we are trying to tell the community like we use it as a therapy tool for children. Despite the apprehension of many parents over whether to let their children participate in classes, Mike remembers one particular girl who chose to get creative in order to convince her dad to let her dance. We have a girl, she's called Abdi Kadir Rahman, and she's Muslim. And um, she loved dancing so much, but her father could not allow her, because also she's coming from a very small tribe in Kenya called the Borana, and they're very uh, strict when it comes to like girls and dancing because we didn't have a ballet costume that is friendly to Muslim children. So she designed her own costume, you know. And so the father came to the school really annoyed and said, I want to understand what this ballet is because my daughter is talking a lot about it. She's not eating now because I said she could not do it. And I took the father through our ballet program and we had to explain a lot to him. And I told him, like, it's not about her going to become a professional ballet dancer, but it's her using uh, the challenges she's facing in terms of not having a ballet costume and designing her own. And immediately he got the sense and he's like, yeah, I'm going to be a full supporter of this program from my daughter. So we're really uh, happy like now the girl is dancing and um, she might not be a professional ballerina, but she might be a designer, you know, or she might be an entrepreneur. What sort of things have your former pupils gone on to do once they graduate from your classes? Most of the children I've worked with now are in high school and some of them didn't make it to high school but they are working like they sell their stuff on the streets and I still meet them often. So some of these children are doing that. But we've also had youths who I worked with who are now like working for the Kenyan newspapers, you know, they're like photographers. Some of them are dance teachers teaching uh, in international schools. So jobs have been created which is very important, but also the sense of sharing. People finally understand like, yeah, this is done unto me. I have to do it again to other people. So like one of our former students, he runs like an art club program for children in his own community. So once in a while he invites me to assist. People are doing it and we've learned like, we don't need a lot of resources to make these things happen. We just need ourselves. Despite all he's achieved already, Mike continues to aim high with his goals, much to the dismay of some of those closest to him. I, I was telling everyone about this, but my wife thinks I'm crazy. You know, I want to build a high school which will absorb children who are left out completely from our Kenyan education system. So I call it the Matatu School, and Matatu is a our public transport system here with all the graffitis and the art in it and good music in it and TV screens in it. So I want my school to look like that. Everybody's talking about the 21st century skills, but 
with an education system that is exam-based, it's very hard for us to achieve that. So with my new school, I hope <laughs> we'll be able to develop uh, children who are all-rounded in terms of creativity and in terms of critical thinking. Special thanks this week to Mike Wamaya, who took a break between dance classes to talk to me. There will be a link to his work on this week's episode description on the Guardian website. Time seems to be flying by because we've reached the end of this season of Small Changes. We won't be gone for long though, we'll be back in early September. As always, you can email us at podcasts at theguardian.com. Small Changes is produced by Danielle Stevens. I'm Lucy Lamble. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. 